grab a seat. We're going to, um, I got a little bit of, one little bit of family business to share with you before we get started. And as we do that, I think we're just going to take our offering right now. And so uh, we'll just let that come forward. If you're new um, and uh, that little bag comes by, you know, you don't have to be a part of it. If you don't, no one has to be a part of it, but I'm just, if this is your church home and you want to be a part of that, we'd love to have you. Uh, it's just a way we worship God with what we have. And uh, we just, part of our mark as a church is trying to become more generous. And um, uh, there's no talking during the offering, so I don't know what's going on around here. Hey, real quick, a little bit of family business. Um, who loves Kimberly? Anybody? All right, all right. So, <laughs> Gabe, that hand better be high, Gabe. Um, so uh, we've just been in conversations uh, lately. Kimberly, I don't know if you guys know this, but Kimberly like pretty much was like the first person that said, yeah, let's do this church plant thing. Um, all the way back in June of 2011, um, Kimberly kind of behind the scenes began to help Angela and I and, and coordinate like meetings and getting some people together and, and just all the things that come with uh, doing this whole church plant thing, website stuff, database work, all the stuff that's behind the scenes, like the, the nitty gritty. And, uh, and, and so she's been on staff for now a long time. And, and we've just been having conversations lately. And we just feel as a leadership and, and just through our conversations that we would like to bless Kimberly with uh, a sabbatical. And what a sabbatical is, is it's not like a vacation. Well, it's, it feels good. But it's like this focused, more intentional time of seeking the Lord and resting and uh, recovering and rejuvenating and getting a new perspective. I just want you to know that there's nothing wrong with Kimberly. There's not like, um, there's, this is not like disciplinary or anything. She didn't cuss me out in a staff meeting or anything like that. But we're just like, we're just sensing this is like a perfect time to love on her and love on Gabe in this season of their life and, and just get some rest. And so April 1st, that begins. I cannot tell you how terrifying that is. But April 1st, I'm just kidding. April, April what's that? No, it's not a joke. That's April 1st. That's when jokes happen. This is March, what day is this? Yeah, so um, though this is really going to happen, for about six to eight weeks, um, you're not going to see Kimmy uh, unless she lets you. <laughs> um, <laughs> she's going to hide around town, and she's got like some mustache disguises. But um, and, and she, you're not going to get emails from her. She's not going to be coordinating anything. She's going to be resting, okay? And which is really great, and I'm super excited for her and for us. But what we need is, Kimmy does a lot of things. She's very administrative. Um, she, she works on a lot of things behind the scenes. And some of those things have already started to be covered. But if you are kind of administrative and you're, maybe you've been a part of this church for like a week or maybe three years or whatever, and you're like, man, I'd love to jump in. I'd love to help out behind the scenes and, and help those things kind of come together. We would love to talk to you because um, this is going to be a great opportunity for her and Gabe. 
And, and yet at the same time, there's so much that happens around here. So if you're feeling like you'd like to be a part of that, even for a temporary time, um, please let us know. There's a connection card um, in, in your row. And uh, yeah, deal? Okay, let me pray. Let's get started. God, thank you so much for gathering us together. My, my, uh, my sense is in this place, at this moment, there is much... Uh, of a, of, a, of a spectrum on how we arrive here today. And we arrive here today hurt, some of us, confused, jaded, maybe broken, maybe, maybe callous to the point where we just, we just don't even think you have a chance of getting in. And God, this morning, I know that this passage we're dealing with, that something so familiar to us, what we know as the Lord's Prayer is it has, the, it has the opportunity to become one of those things that we just memorize and know and forget. Forget what it means. Forget what you were trying to say through it. But this morning, God, may it be something fresh for us. Maybe it be an, may it be an entrance into your kingdom at work in our lives. And maybe for some of us this morning, we really need that. So God, open our eyes, open our hearts. Heal us in a new way this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Real quick recap. Last week, we talked about, we, we talked about giving, praying, and fasting. We talked about this idea that Jesus was pushing back and saying, hey, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites who do certain things to gain attention for themselves. And so last week, we, it, it, the message wasn't about giving per se, and it wasn't about praying per se, and it wasn't about fasting. It was about our heart behind these things that actually are entryways into God being at work through us. Remember, we talked about how as a Jewish person, giving to the poor, that was, that was part of the fabric of what it meant to be Jewish. And for the people up in the gospel triangle, this area of Galilee that Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, that was just what you did. You gave to the poor. You oriented your life around the teachings of the Old Testament that had to do with the poor. When we talk about prayer, he says, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites and stand on the street corner. And, and much to, uh, I think many of you un understand this, but there was a rhythm to the day for a Jewish prayer. Okay? It's, it's much like in some Muslim circles, in, in all Muslim circles, there's certain times of the day you would pray. It's the same thing in Judaism. If you were an Orthodox Jew, you would pray at certain moments of the day. So it was just kind of a given. And when Jesus said, when you pray, do it like this. Don't do it like this. And then there was this idea about fasting. And so you can check this all out last week on the podcast, but Today, we're going to focus in on this section within the section last week on prayer. And this is where we get the Lord's Prayer. Now, let me just ask a question as we start. And you can shout things out. Okay, so prepare yourself. What was the central message of Jesus? Anybody? What was his, the main thing? Love? Who said love? Love? Okay. Anybody else? 
Serving others? Anything? Where? The kingdom has come. Yes. That was the central message. It wasn't hell. It wasn't heaven. And, and yes, all these things have, uh, love has to do with it. Serving others has to do with it. But Jesus' central message was the kingdom is here. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom is near, he would say, in many times. In Matthew, he says, the kingdom of heaven is here. Now, he sums it all up in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. We've already read this a few weeks ago, but it says this. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And that word repent is something that I think that we get uh, sideways with a little bit. When we think of that word, it has some uh, effect on us. But what it means is to change your mind. It actually means to, to think about the world in a whole new way and live differently in light of that. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, repent, turn your mind around, turn your life around because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And what he means by the kingdom of heaven, that it's not just a place uh, you go when you die, okay? And we talk about this all the time, that the gospel isn't about a ticket to heaven. It's not just a place you go where you die. It's, it's never somewhere else. It's always right here. See, when Jesus announces it, he's announcing that the kingdom is now on earth and it's right in front of you. And he uses different language. The different authors in the gospels, the different biographers, Mark, Matthew, John, Luke, the rest of them use, besides Matthew, use the, to, the term kingdom of God. Matthew writing to Jewish uh, readers is supplements God for heaven. He interchanges God and heaven. So uh, God and heaven, in, in his mind, are synonymous. So what is the kingdom of God? What is it? It's where God's rule, God's reign, happen. It means where things are functioning how God intended them to happen, and they're working in, in a manner that God's presence has come near, and that is all happening as it's supposed to. It is open, it is available, and it's, as Jesus says, it's right in front of your face. It's right here. And how can Jesus say that? Well, Jesus can say that because Jesus is standing right in front of them. He's standing right in front of them announcing that the kingdom of heaven is near, uh, that he is king, that ultimately what they're going to see is that he is the embodiment of the kingdom of God in the flesh, that he is in the building. Now, if we review a little bit, the, the kingdom of God has some interesting past and, uh, sorry, present and future language to it. Sometimes in the gospels, Jesus will say, uh, the kingdom of God is here, and, then, and so it has this present feel to it, but it also has a, a future feel to it, like it's still coming, it's still on its way. It's, he's inaugurated it, but it's not here fully yet. And we say things like now, it's here now, and it's not yet. And we live in the tension between the now and the not yet. And for some of you, this is review, but I feel like we had to kind of go over it a little bit again today as we're talking about this prayer. 
Because when God returns, when Jesus returns as the king to remake everything all new, he will complete it. He will finish it. And since we live in that time, scholars call it the time between the times. The time between the times. That's where we live. That's where we function. There's two things I think we need to understand. The first one is it's, there's more than one kingdom at work right now in this world. Scriptures tell us that there's the kingdom of God, which we've been talking about, and that Jesus announces is here. And scriptures also tell us about this kingdom of darkness, that there's another kingdom at work, that, that Satan's will is at work, that Wall Street's will is at work, that uh, Assad, president of Syria's work, will is at work. There's a lot of different wills at work. There's Ryan Ashley's will that's at work. And there's many micro kingdoms in flat out defiance to the rule and reign of God. And that's all happening right now. We live in the tension of that happening. Now, the second thing we need to know is this, that the kingdom of God is always growing. It's always moving and happening and expanding. Uh, Jesus tells stories and parables to tell us about this. He tells us uh, good stories. Uh, they're thick with theology. They're, they're, they're wonderful stories. But they're, like this idea of the kingdom of God is like yeast. And how over time it just infects all the way throughout a lump of dough. And it has this effect on everything around it. And it's slow and it's unseen. But it's having an effect. He also talks about a mustard seed. And a mustard seed being very tiny and that has this, this, this way of just exploding and growing and becoming huge. Once again, over time, something small expands over time. So the kingdom of God is, there's two kingdoms that work in this world. There's different kingdoms that work in this world. Um, and the kingdom of God is always growing, always expanding, always having influence. But there's this kind of sinister ideology that many of us get caught up with. And, and it comes from a couple of, different, uh, uh, couple of different interpretations and really misinterpretations of scripture for one and uh, global affairs at the other time. So, so just hang with me here because I think this will help hopefully make sense. But first of all, in scriptures, a lot of times we read in the New Testament that uh, evil will run amok and there's going to be famine and wars and earthquakes and, and that these things are signs of the end times, okay? And, and if you want to kind of go back um, into the fall, we did a series on the book of 1 uh, Thessalonians, and we talk a little bit more about some of these ideas. Um, and then people will come up to me, and they'll, they'll read in the Bible, oh, the last days there's going to be famine and wars and earthquake and poverty. And then they'll see on the news, oh, there's famine and wars and earthquakes and poverty. Are we living in the last days? This has got to be the last of the last days, right? And they'll, they'll ask me this, so they'll say this, and I'm like, my answer is yes. But we've been living in the last days for 2,000 years. 
And, and so there's this thing, Acts chapter two, for instance, Peter, he, uh, he does this whole, he references Joel, the prophet, and the prophet Joel talks about the last days and these things that are coming. And Peter references Joel, the prophet, in AD 33. Some of those same things you could read and, and interpret as being for us today. And so, yes, there are the last day. We feel like we're in this period of time of this kind of cusp of human history that, that something that, that God's new world is happening and it is at work. And yes, at the same time, evil runs amok all around us, okay? So we sometimes misinterpret scripture. We think that, oh, this was written for me. Right here, right now, this perspective of mine in the world. And then we kind of order everything around that. But we also misinterpret things from global affairs. You know, just this idea of looking at the news and seeing evil and injustice and poverty and disease and cancer and country music and all these things that are bad for us in this world. We see all these things just coming at us and, and, and we think it's really dark. It's just like the darkest it's ever been right now, right? Anybody feel that way sometimes? I mean, you're watching the news, how could it get any worse? Right? And it's something that if you were to ask um, an anthropologist or a historian and, and just say, hey, is this the darkest it's ever been in the history of the world right now? You know what they would say? Absolutely not. They would say that. I mean, if they were an honest historian. I mean, I mean when you think about some of the things this world has seen, collapse of the Roman Empire, I wouldn't want to have been there. Nazi Germany, Mao, the fall of the Mayans, the plagues. I'm telling you right now, we have it pretty good. And I know that it's pretty bad. I'm not trying to paint a rosy picture of the world. What I'm saying is it's not all just falling apart. It's, it's this idea that uh, we have this 24-hour news cycle that turned into a 24-second news cycle. And now on your phone, you can actually get a video of a bombing that happened halfway around the world within seconds of it happening. And we're like, oh my gosh, it's got to be the worst it's ever been. And I'm saying that because I think it's sometimes a dangerous way to think because we can misinterpret our perspective on the world so much. And it's easy to think that the world is just getting worse. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, the kingdom of God is always growing. And, and he said, it's always spreading and influencing and changing. And, and sometimes we forget in the West because we think we're the center of the universe in the West and, and really we're only 10% of the world's population, that God is doing, we forget God is doing great stuff all over the world. Think about China. One generation ago, there were less than 2 million Christians in China. In a single generation, after the, like communism was like pushing everything out, after a single generation, some people believe there's upwards of 120 million Christians in China. And our perspective in the West is, oh, people, less people are going to church and uh, the kingdom of God is shrinking and, and we're having a hard time because, um, you know, we think things are just getting worse. And the reality is Jesus is back from the dead. 
and the spirit is moving and working all over the world and the climax is coming and, and, and until then we wait and we hope and we serve and we pray, okay? Those, those are the things we're called to do. And what does any of this have to do with what we're talking about? Because let me just say this, if you buy into the idea that it's all getting worse perspective, that it's all getting worse, then there's this, um, there's this knee-jerk reaction to just kind of throw our hands up, okay? Um, hide out and wait for the whole thing to go sideways. There's, there's, there's this real, there's actually a theology of this in the church, that believes that this is how it's all going, that Christians just need to, to ride this out and to hold on. And that is nowhere in Scripture. That is nowhere in Scripture. What if and that entire mentality is flat out wrong? What if that is anything but the gospel? What if the church is on the move? What if there are no limits to the power of Jesus? And what if Romans 8, okay, Romans 8 nails it when, it's, when, when Paul says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives where? In you. And remember, we, we, we kind of jumped on this phrase this last fall, talking in Thessalonians. We're people of the future, Okay? We're people of the future, and that, and that changes everything. And that means the future is, is, is not set in stone, that we actually play a part in what God is doing, and it means anything is possible. And so this is how we need to think, and what does that have to do with prayer? Well, it turns out kind of everything. And so when Jesus announces the kingdom and then he talks about prayer, he actually does this little side journey and he says, this is how you should pray. And so we're going to read the Lord's prayer here because this is really the hinge to the whole sermon on the mount. It goes like this. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven, past tense, have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So before we do anything, um, I just want to just start with this, this idea that I think Jesus has two presuppositions to, to, uh, to prayer. Jesus' prayer has, has kind of two presuppositions in it that I think are really important for us to look at. The first one is this. I think Jesus presupposes that we live in a world where God's will is not always done. And this is a tricky conversation to have. On a Sunday morning, there's some deep theology here that we don't have time to get into, and you might go, "But wait a second. Um, and that's fine. We can have that conversation, but we're just not going to have it right now. Okay? So this idea that there's, if there's two wills at work, okay, if Jesus says there's a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light and, and two different things happen, I think he presupposes that God's will is not done all the time on earth. Meaning there's some things that are happening on earth right now in this moment that are not God's will. There are some evil things happening to people right now. It's kind of overwhelming to think about. 
and we get kind of locked in in our own lives. And, but as we speak, it's all happening. And is any of those evil things the will of God? No, absolutely not. And so God is at war with evil. God is against evil. And then there's certain ways we try to explain some of this stuff away. And there's, there's, there's just different ways to do it. There's just kind of this fatalistic look at the world that kind of says, well, what, whatever's going to happen is going to happen, you know? And then there's kind of this, sorry to offend many, some of you, but there's this really hyper-Calvinistic view of providence, something called meticulous sovereignty that means that everything that happens in this world happens because God willed it to happen, meaning cancer in your life and um, all these things that happened, uh, abuse when you were a kid and wars in the other parts of the world, all these things that are happening are God's will in your life. That's, uh, that's an intense way to go. But evil runs amok in defiance, I believe, to God's plan and God's will. And it may comfort you for a moment to say, well, it must have been God's will. But that only works so long and so far. The other presupposition I think that Jesus has with this, the first one being that there are different wills at work. The second one is, it presupposes that prayer is the primary way that we partner with God to bring his rule and his reign back to the earth. I think Jesus actually believes that prayer works basically what I'm saying, that Jesus actually believes that praying to the Father, that praying to God actually has a way of bringing God's kingdom to bear in our lives. And you know what? I don't know that we believe that. I really don't. I don't know that I, I have a hard time believing that. See, but to Jesus, if, if that's true, Jesus pray, to Jesus, prayer actually changes reality. It actually has a creative, you know, when we talk about creative God, that God spoke into the world and he spoke change, he created with his words, God did. And then he created you and me as little small c creators to, to be a part of this world as well, that, that actually it is in our speech that we create so much. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, right? That we have an opportunity to create well, uh, health and, and, and flourishing in people's lives, or we have, the, uh, we have the opportunity to create just total destruction, with our words. Well, what about praying? Jesus says the prayer actually moves the hand of God. That our praying together has that opportunity. One of my favorite authors, maybe yours too, is a guy named Dallas Willard. And he wrote a book, um, great book. Like, if I'm going to recommend some books around here, The Divine Conspiracy is one of them. And uh, let me get to my page here. I got, a, I got a quote from this that is just, listen to what Dallas Willard says. And God's response to our prayers is not a charade. 
God's response to our prayers is not a charade. He does not pretend that he is answering our prayer when he is only doing what he was going to do anyway. You hear that? Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is a specter that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. I know that haunts you, and it haunts me. God's just going to do what God's going to do, so why do I pray? It makes prayer psychologically impossible replacing it with, the dead rit- with a dead ritual at best. And of course, does God respond to this? You wouldn't either. It's Dallas Willard. Jesus says, you have not because you ask not. He says that. And, you know, I went to seminary, and I, sp- I spent thousands of dollars and read a lot of books and I learned uh, what, it, what that means in context and its original language. You know what it means? It means you have not because you ask not. I mean, that's what it means. It's this idea that, like, a lot of us think that, that, that God's this giant chessboard master in the sky. And a cosmic stare down with us. But God is a God who listens and responds. Jesus calls him out. He says, pray to your father in heaven, which we talked about a few weeks ago. is totally scandalous to call God father. In this content, in the Jewish world he lived in, it's like this idea of a father bending down to hear what his child wants and needs. Some of us are living such shallow, kind of anemic lives because we do not pray. We just don't do it. We think, well, not not like anything will change. But Jesus is saying, here's the invitation to pray to the creator of the universe who responds and that prayer actually changes reality and moves the hand of God. And there's this just deep theology of prayer and how we can partner with God in our prayer to bring about the kingdom on this earth and we can change the world like yeast changes dough, like something subtle and, and something that happens under the, under the surface and behind the scenes. It's not seen by everybody and it changes us, prayer does. And he says a couple things here, just four takeaways from the prayer before we finish up. First one, he says, it's our Father, which means that you're praying in community. And some of you have a hard time praying out loud. And some of you have a hard time praying with others. And sometimes it's easier to say, I'll pray for you, than to actually pray for them right then. Like, what would it look like for you to do prayer together with your spouse and your family and your, and your friends? And what if there's something going on in your life right now that you could just reach out and say, can you pray for me? Can we pray together? I mean, if this actually is Jesus's words, it says, he says that God, this will move the hand of God. Well, and I think we should do it. And I think we should do it more. And I think we should practice it. And I think we should talk about it. And I think we should carve out time in our lives to do it together. And I shared with you before, Jesus prays to a father, not a force. 
prays to a father who is not a vending machine. Prays to a father who wants to stoop down and listen. This idea of humble dependence on God, and I think in the West, I think for us as Americans, and we have so much going for us, I think we, 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 we don't really have this dependency on God that you see in so many other cultures and so many other even poorer communities. I think we kind of equate God to kind of like uh, praying to God and, and Jesus is kind of like a, like a shot in our latte versus breath in our lungs. Like there's this dependency that comes from this mode of praying. And you know what the other thing is? And Jesus talked about praying and how you don't pray long winded prayers, you know that? And then, and then he comes in and he's, he, you pray this prayer, you pray the, you pray the Lord's prayer, it's going to take you maybe 20 seconds. It's not long, it's short. And really what prayer does is Jesus is laying out it, prayer reorders our desires. I mean, when you're praying things, your will be done, your kingdom come, we learn that, that we learn to yearn for God's kingdom, not ours. We, we, we learn that it's God's will that we want done and not ours. And it begins to kind of reorient everything from coming into it with like our own will, our own agenda, and it then somehow mysteriously the spirit transforms us into believing, no, it's God's will, not mine. No, it's, we, we learn to yearn and ache for the good of others in our lives. You know, when you pray for someone, when Jesus says, pray for your enemies, you know what that means? I want you to pray for your enemies because I'm going to do something in you, not necessarily them. And when we yearn and ache for everyone to experience the forgiveness of God, it does something in us. It really does. And when we are done, our desires have been reordered to God and to others and our desires diminish and our mind is on God and what God wants. And then something crazy happens with that. When God's will becomes our will, we tend to feel like we're actually living in purpose, that we're actually living for a reason, that there's actually something that we can partner with and be a part of. When Jesus talked about let your righteousness surpass those of even the Pharisees and the scribes, we talked about what that meant. That means all the relationships in our lives are in right, on a right footing and a right standing and that are, that are flourishing. And that's how we were created. That righteousness actually means right relationship with God, but not just that, because that's what the Pharisees were doing. According to the law, they were doing everything right between them and God, but everything else pretty much stunk. Relationships with your family and your friends and your spouse and everything. And, and the relationship you have, I know this sounds weird, but with yourself in right relationship, that's what righteousness is. But here's the clincher. Because we usually stop the Lord's prayer at the end of it and deliver us from the evil one. But you know what Jesus says right after that? For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't, then your Father will not forgive your sins. Oh, 
this is the, the haymaker. Wait, are you telling me that if I don't forgive people, then God won't forgive me? That sounds like what Jesus is saying. <laughs> that sounds like works-based forgiveness. I guess if you want to call it that, then call it that. That's what Jesus is saying. There's something in this whole kingdom exchange. That Jesus' number one reason for announcing the kingdom of God it was to bring you and me back to God. There's this idea of restoration. Why we named our church restoration is this bringing, uh, like returning something to its former owner, place, or condition. That's what Jesus' mission is, to return you and me to God, to reconcile that relationship, to make that relationship good again. And that happens through his forgiveness of us. But it turns out that part of kingdom living means that you and me forgive other people. That we just can't have this, well, God forgave me, but I'm going to hold this against you for the rest of your life. Do you see how backwards that is? The depth of God's forgiveness towards us is so, it's, it's cosmically deeper than anything you and I experience in this time and space. And so the forgiveness that we're willing to extend is actually the fuel by which the kingdom grows. It's the yeast of the kingdom. It is the salt of the earth. It's when you're able to forgive people, and it might take a decade. It might take a minute and a half. But those are the, that's the seed of the kingdom. That's the whole crux of the whole thing. Now, he's telling this to Jewish people who know what Lex Talianus is. Lex Talianus is eye for an eye. Tooth for a tooth. Take a pound of flesh for the pound of flesh that was taken from you. They, this is a culture of Judaism that knows nothing about enemy love. They have lived in such a way and have had to hide out in such a way, Roman occupation, whatever it is, from generation after generation, that all they can do is think about how to get back their oppressors and their enemies. And Jesus says things that are absolutely scandalous. These are Jesus's words, not mine. And so as we wrap this up today, Jesus says, those who genuinely love others and seek righteousness, they forgive. They forgive. And those who don't, they're not kingdom people. And, and, and you got to understand that the way this changes in me and you is, is totally outside of ourselves. You can't just wake up one day and self-help your way to forgiving somebody. And then I've also heard of people say, well, you can't forgive without Jesus. Well, I know a lot of people who are really good forgiving forgivers and they don't know Jesus yet. What I'm telling you is that there's something about this, this work of the Spirit in our lives as we pray that changes us 
And you're like, well, nothing could change how I feel about this person. Oh, yeah? See, I bet the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead could. I bet, I bet that could happen. See, you know what's hard? Following Jesus. <laughs> you know what's easy? Talking about following Jesus. And I'm just desperate for me and you to know what that's like to actually follow Jesus in this, to take those steps of forgiveness in our lives that are so, you could, you could walk out of here just going, Ryan, you're such a, you, you. If, you, if you took that next step, if you moved the needle of forgiveness in your life just a little bit more and taste the kingdom, you know what's really hard? Forgiving other people. You know what's really easy? Pretending that you love Jesus. See, if you want to taste the kingdom, you got to start somewhere quiet by yourself. And I would, I'm challenging you to pray for the people in your life that you don't even want to speak to again. That have hurt you so bad, I want you to pray for them. And I want you to see what begins to happen. I mean, just honestly, even just one of those prayers like, God, I don't want to do this kind of prayer, right? I mean, those are the, those are the ones that, oh, those are the most honest, vulnerable, real prayers you could give. But this is the fuel of the kingdom. Forgiveness is the fuel of the kingdom. And that's how it's spreading. That's how it spreads all throughout this world, silent. And not because someone else built another church building, that's not the spreading of the kingdom. That's growing institutional religion. I'm not opposed to church buildings. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying the kingdom's different. The kingdom's totally different. It's unseen and it's moving. And God wants you to be a part of it. So as the band comes back up, let's pray. Let's, let's, let's do the work. Heavenly